What's up, Wildside Besties and Baddies? I'm Bailey. And I'm Chelsea. And we're here to walk you through the wild sides. From homicides to hostides and everything in between. We're so glad you're here, so buckle up and enjoy the ride. I was telling Chelsea before y'all logged on, um, I've had a lot of moments this week of like professional growth and and development as far as like embarrassing things. And when we hung up on the phone with you guys yesterday, Chelsea and I hung back and we processed it. You know, how did that go? How did you feel? And I was like, I'm so embarrassed and I'm so glad I didn't say anything because early on in the phone call, Alex, you sounded so much like Chelsea and I thought you were saying like, oh, I'm such a fangirl. And I was like, oh my God, wow. <laughs> and I was like, I, I was this close to being like, Alex, I am just, I am so flattered and I don't know what to say. And thank you so much. And, and then sure, I realized I that it was, <laughs> and then I realized that it was Chelsea and I was just like, Yes. It would have been great. I I was like, I'm so glad I wasn't like, thank you so much. And then you're just like, for what? I was like, for fangirling. And you're like, okay, you're welcome. It will be me. It will be me as soon as I have a chance to hear more. Me too. That's what I was saying when I got on this morning. I'm I'm like, appreciate your guys' approach a lot to what's happening. Yeah, me too. Oh, well, thank you. And again, for the thousandth time, we just thank you guys so much for spending and sharing your time with us. Um, When I was reaching out, I had the wild idea of reaching out to y'all because I watched the Bayou Blue documentary. And I was like, I'm going to see if they'll come on the show. And my husband was like, good luck. Good luck. And I talked to Chelsea and she's, she's the optimistic. And she was like, absolutely. What does your husband do? Is he is he cynical for a living? No, he well he's more realistic. I'm more nihilistic, so I'm always like, there's no way. There's no way. It's never gonna happen. We're not crime junkie. We're not any of these big, you know, these big um podcasts. I was like, we're minions, we have to earn our stripes before people wanna spend their time on our show. And and I reached out and then you responded and I was like Oh my god, I got a response. So even then, I was just like, "You guys are great. Thank you for responding." Yeah, look how you do it. Oh, that's really nice. Well, well, to be honest, <laughs> I mean, we talked about it. We we talked about it, and I, I would say, in general, Alex and I's inclination is not to do stuff like this. Uh, but your point of view was clearly expressed and kind of generous in spirit, and sort of not sensationalistic, which is how we made the film. And so that's what. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, that's this sounds like a great. You know, thing to do and help out somebody starting out. Yeah, so we're, I'm very happy to be here, and we're um, happy to have you. So again, thank yeah. you so much. And I'm kind of glad that you already started talking about the film because I kind of wanted you guys, um, if you don't mind, just give us a little bit about you know who you are and what what makes you tick, what makes you you. Yeah, we, we, we both disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Alex, you oh, first. Oh gosh, that's a, I, I. I might need something more focused. In a question. Like, I have years, years of therapy to answer that question. Let me see. <laughs> I who guess. I, I guess. Let's maybe say, um, who are you as far as um, 
crime documentaries, um, true crime, I guess we'll keep it focused on that subject. I, I can start and sort of introduce Alex, I think, in, in answering my question um, or answering this question. So I was an actor for years and, uh, you know, was always interested, particularly less in crime and more in sort of social justice mm -hmm. and issues of the South mm -hmm. and LGBT issues in the South and became aware of this case actually when it was happening. Um, so I'm from Birmingham, um, but lived in New York for many years, went to grad school in California, um, had spent a little bit of time back in Birmingham and also had, had had an apartment in New Orleans for a while. My best, one of my best friends lives in New Orleans. And, um, and I remember this, you know, this case was happening simultaneously with, uh, there was a serial killer in Baton Rouge, if y'all remember, who was attacking and, and murdering, uh, women uh and, mm -hmm. and i think young college went aged mm -hmm. women which of course the media gobbles you know, up for lack of a better word they gobble mm -hmm. it up you know it becomes a huge story and this story was not being told at all and so i became really interested in it because of who the victims were and uh what seemed to be to be a clear um i don't know disregard for it based on well we can talk about that later so then alex i met um through uh, somebody I was dating at the time. She had done a they had done a workshop together of a crime uh, theater piece they were building. And Alex is the one who really is the the crime expert, the <laughs> criminal mastermind. Uh, and um, we got to talking and became very fast friends. And then I cut I sort of exposed her to the story. And I don't know, Alex, if you want to take on from there. Yeah. No. I mean, I I think yeah, we met in 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 Key West, and we I was working on this crime-based show where I was interviewing a lot of Key West people around crime. And uh, yeah, I think obviously the, the, the subject is something I would be interested in. And David and I did become very close very quickly. And I just felt like, um, I had, I had a long history of wanting to kind of tell stories of people who didn't have another way to tell them or to be heard. So it was, a, a kind of perfect synergistic moment, moment I think, um, for me anyway. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I know um, Bailey had made a comment during our podcast when we were covering it, and she was like, can I just say that I'm slightly pissed that we were literally living, you know, probably, what, an hour away or something like that from where this was happening? And Bailey was like, we never heard about this. Like, that is what we heard from absolutely everybody. We have, we don't know this case. We haven't heard about it. You know, David, David has an eagle eye, and he had been kind of paying attention for years to these string of murders. And, and not to mention on that topic, going back to when we were recording the podcast, I was telling Chelsea because she had never heard of it and and we do blind reading so she doesn't know what I'm what I'm talking about for that episode because again we really want to tap into like the genuine responses and talk about the emotions that come up and I told her I said there was literally no national coverage on this case despite the victim count being 23 men and Chelsea was like say that again yeah and I said there were 23 victims and she was like so they're so they're just going to skip over the fact that we have one of the most prolific serial killers 
in the state of Louisiana and the history and nobody's talking about it and nobody knows about it. And that was what Robert said, the journalist who went to the Times and said, hey, look, I think there's a serial killer down here at the time. I think he had 11 11 bodies and but that's a lot. (laughs) And it was and the response was it's not a national story. We don't want it. It's not a national story. Yeah. (laughs) And the thing is, you know, it became such a national story about crime and about poverty and about and about um, climate change and and race. Yes. Yes. Um, So I I think you guys have touched a little bit on it. And I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, more specifically, like, what was your vision you know, if you could say, what was your vision? What was your goal for this documentary? What do you think, you know, your big picture, little picture was, I guess, if that makes sense on what you wanted to express through this documentary? Do you want to start, David, since you want to start? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so Alex is a, a, you know, is a much more, still a much more experienced, uh, both in the arena of crime and also in filmmaking than I was. So in some ways making the film, was an apprenticeship for me and working with her. And what I discovered through it is that I'm, I'm quite good at interviewing people, um, which funnily is, it's like acting, you know, you have to be in the moment, you know, be ready to respond to all those things. And that sort of is how we ended up kind of breaking down the actual filmmaking process. But I think our, both of our goals and Alex, correct me if I'm wrong, was to, uh, humanize the victims. Um, they're people generally easy to it's this language is, is especially even in the 10 years that we've made it, it's become harder to talk about. Um, but people who generally are at least socially neglected, um, who do not attract the media's attention. I mean, I would, I would have said who existed in the margins before, but then I don't want to make presumptions about what margins are anymore. Correct. So it, it requires me to think about things in different ways and use different languages or different, use different language, but, um, to make sure that we, humanize people and i would say as an example of that um the film four little girls the spike lee doc about the birmingham church bombing um which is a great film um and i had a friend a girl i grew up with worked on it with him and uh what that film did so effectively is you those it took the girls away from being just symbols to actually human beings and you saw the families and how this bombing and their deaths affected them and that is something i really wanted to do with this film is not talk about numbers not get into depth psychology of Dominique, um, not sort of be fascinated by evil, but more by the banality of it and, and to let these victims and their families sort of speak for themselves, whether it be through the images or through their family stories. Um, and also really capture the sense of place. I mean, then I think it exploded from there when we got down there and Alex, maybe you can talk about that. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess uh, I would, the only thing that, I would add about what I expect from any documentary project I take on is that I don't want to have an idea of what I think the story is fully until I, I want to be, I want to learn what the story is, um, you know, and mm-hmm. so as much, as much homework as we did about the cases, obviously there's an enormous amount that we didn't know. And I don't want to go into the project with a set idea of what it is we're going to put in the final film until we, we've talked to people and, and find out who they are and what they have to say. 
Yeah. Just totally open-minded, a clean slate. I mean, nobody's totally open-minded. <laughs> I mean, I, sure. I don't want to pretend that I have some, like, you know, like, but but that was the idea. That's the mm -hmm. idea, right. to listen to people's stories and try and help them tell them. Okay. I When you guys were talking, something that came to my mind, because in Bayou Blue, y'all spent time with some of the victims' families. And I would be curious to, to hear your perspective of how they were responding to the tragedy, the loss, the violence of their loved one with a muted social pressure, if you will, mm -hmm. from the surroundings. And if that, if you noticed if that impacted how they were responding to their loss, does that make sense? What it I'm does, asking? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Alex. I mean, I think they weren't a monolith. I think they definitely all responded differently, and we had pretty different experiences with the different family members. And they also had, I think you see in the film, uh, different opinions about the death penalty and what should happen to Dominique. I don't know. Uh, I, I thought, uh, I don't know if this is reductive or not, I thought that there was a a certain resignation amongst a lot of the victims' families, um, both that they weren't surprised it happened, that they weren't uh, surprised it took so long to catch the killer. Um, there was also a rage from some yeah, of the family members, family. Uh, particularly um, the family, the white family, you know, from down the bayou, so to speak, as they would say. Um, the idea that this would happen to them that uh the idea that their their son would be identified as a homosexual they were very adamant that that was not the case um so it's really trying to control the narrative of who the who the victim is and um rage it i don't know there was a lot of anger with the police department from that family they felt yeah. they hadn't been handled well they felt that the police were getting accolades or some kind of rewards but it was very i think different from from person to person that yeah. th that one mother daughter that i think you're talking about david they were definitely yeah. angry with the police yeah definitely mm -hmm. angry with the police mm. oh I, it's just interesting and sometimes i can't help my therapist brain just really kicks in and and goes into overdrive but when you were talking about these dynamics and the resignation um, it brought me to a question that Chelsea and I wanted to ask regarding the documentary Bayou Blue. And there was a, a review by Tom Q on Video Librarian talking about how you attempted to find some resonance between the impact of the crimes, Dominique's crimes, and the devastation by Hurricane Katrina, oil spills, and that kind of thing. And he said it kind of came off as a bit of a reach. First of all, I think Chelsea and I can both say that we disagree with that because we are from the Gulf Coast communities. We were affected by Katrina and all of that stuff. But what's fascinating to me when you were talking about the families and again, the resignation is in the counseling dynamic and the counseling therapy world, we work around a lot with this concept of the dysfunctional family dynamics. Okay. And if we go off of that model, there are six roles 
Um, and the main player in this is what's referred to as the addict. And the world kind of revolves around the addict and each other of the family member has a role. And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but what I'm trying to say is everybody in this family system where there is dysfunction all kind of assimilate to this role unknowingly and the goal is to maintain homeostasis and when I heard you talking about the families when you were interviewing them and that kind of spot of them kind of just not knowing what to do with that energy it sounds a lot like this community of, of HOMA is almost like a macro version of a dysfunctional family dynamic I yeah, yeah I, I did <laughs> yeah. I also I did feel like it didn't really feel, you know, it was hard to locate a lot of these people. And we found some of them through Facebook. This is also a gift. David, you're a genius at tracking people mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. I was impressed. Um, but, you know, the point I'm getting at is it didn't feel like there was a community that they were mm -hmm. part of or had, an, mm -hmm. uh, or had available to them to be mm -hmm. a part of, really. Mm -hmm. And I think that is certainly a part of a problem. And and certainly related also to other yeah. and there was also there were you know two very different homos um there was sort of the martin Foles is the journalist i don't he doesn't ever make the film right alex no uh we, um, we used some of his footage we used some of his footage yeah but there was this sort of um I don't know, respectable homo i guess mm -hmm. and you know homo at the time was kind of a boom town um, and had a lot of oil money coming into it um, and was, you know, I think they trumpeted themselves as like at least the fastest growing city in Louisiana at the time. And then there was this absolutely sort of devastated poverty ridden part of town that that was very sort of divided and, and there wasn't a sense of the community there or, or particularly being in a community at large. But I do agree, like there was something, there was a desire to keep things, for all the growth, for all, to keep things static. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm there uh and and th this case particularly turned up a lot of issues political and social issues um, also that... we spoke to some of the siblings of dominique who had their own difficulties with not wanting people to know who they were mm -hmm. or where they taught or, or yeah understandably yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 i i will say that's one thing that bailey and i do quite often uh, when we, whenever we cover a story is for those of you who have listened, uh, you hear us say a lot of like, we're not going to share the names of, right. you know, the sisters, the brothers, you know, like, cause that's not important. Like they've been through enough. They deserve privacy, you know, kind of following that same trend of um, kind of this topical discussion, if you will. Like I said, Bailey and I, um, we moved to Mississippi from Charlotte, North Carolina, I was in seventh grade, Bailey was in third grade, uh, and I remember at a seventh grade level being an absolute, in a total culture shock, right? We came from this melting pot of a city. Charlotte was extremely diverse. It was extremely urban. Yes, we lived in, you know, kind of a suburb type of thing, but uh, we got down to that area and it was... Um, it was very different for us. So this idea of kind of a culture shock, 
was that difficult for you guys being who you are? And I and I want to say who you are in the most general term, right? Like you're not from Homa, mm-hmm. you aren't even really from the state of Louisiana, you know, quote unquote, an outsider, if I may be so bold. Was that very challenging? Was that not challenging for you as far as getting information, uh, getting people to talk with you? Well, David being from the South, I think people were much more interested in talking to you. <laughs> to be, sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I certainly. We use that. We use that yeah. a lot. I, I, yeah, I mean, I. I was going to say, did you have to use that card quite a bit, David, of yeah. like, oh, I yeah. grew up in Alabama. Yeah. I mean, mostly like, so, you know, I I have said, and I stand by this, that the move from Birmingham to New York is much more familiar. Birmingham is more similar to New York than it is to Houma, Louisiana. I can believe that. Like it, it is, and Houma is, is, yeah, more different than other parts of the South. However, I, I certainly had much more of a Southern accent, you know, my old accent, kind of talk more like this, and hey, y'all, and mm-hmm. sort of, there's right. a kind of... Uh, Just slow it down. Yeah, slow it, and there's a kind mm-hmm. of like a sort of knowing kind of Southern man talk, you know, you kind of yes. talk to people and just keep it short clipped and kind of like that. Talk about Alabama football, LSU football, things, all those things, you know, right. certainly open doors for us. And, and also, and I don't mean this glibly. I mean, I think it's important um, that cultural identifiers and do, you know, create community and connection with people. And so it, it was, um, it certainly, I didn't feel like I was a fake. It's certainly part of who I am, but it did, Correct. I would say to some degree, especially with the cops, maybe it helped us establish a sense of trust. Dawn, yeah, Dawn. Dawn yeah, liked I, me because she was the only woman in that department. Yeah, she loved but I you. I think yeah. she, she kind of, we, kind, we were like, our approach was, if people respond to David, then we're going to put David out in front of them. If people respond to me, then we're going to put me out in front of them. And, and you know, I think I, my memory was that Dawn was the main person who kind of turned to me and and most yeah. other people were like let's talk to this southern guy <laughs> yeah and Don, well dennis was pretty great with you Alex, dennis was good yeah he was good yeah um dennis was the cop don and dennis were the two cops who basically got the confession uh don was with the terrible parish sheriff's office and dennis was um in jefferson parish um and they and they were both you know could not have made the film without them they were both incredibly helpful and it was to the chagrin, I think, of some of the victims' families, it was, I never felt like it was about them. It was just really about, you know, telling the story and um, they were great. But yeah, Dawn and Dawn and Alex, I think, had a real rapport. Yeah, I liked um, her a lot. Yeah, me too. I liked her too. But she, uh, we, we, she really went out of her way for us because she helped us with the tapes and she helped us mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, she sent people to have uh, some cops when we were filming in the middle of the night at some places that really weren't safe at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was pretty nice of her. Yeah. We talked about this when we were covering, um, you know, the case from our end. And I thought it was interesting that you guys brought this up um, in the, well, not necessarily you brought it up in the documentary, but you included footage that talked about uh, the disconnect between the parishes Mm-hmm. And there wasn't a lot of good communication. And, um, you know, that's really a, a huge, I, I don't know if you want to call it passion. That's a goal for Bailey and myself is kind of this interdisciplinary approach uh, with this topic of true crime, you know, bringing in not just crime, but also, you know, Bailey's experience with therapy, 
uh, things like that. So how do you feel, you know, kind of being in a, in a place where you really had to rely on multiple characters? Did that kind of strengthen this idea of like, it literally takes a village in order to bring change, to bring coverage, to bring news, uh, you know, to the people of the world, if you will. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like, Oh yeah, it does. I was just saying, Alec. Yeah. I, I mean, what I remember is specifically about, and I'm, I'm not in criminal justice. I don't, you know, know how hard the work is. Uh, I think it's incredibly hard and there are some wonderful people in it. There are some not wonderful people in it. Um, and what I remember thinking was how the assumptions that I had about how it worked, about different departments talking to each other, about how, say, easy it would be to uh, have a rape kit tested, um, that there was a functionality that uh, and, and a communication between all these different departments and jurisdictions, and there just isn't. And it's not because... Um, it's because of resources. It's because of, uh, at the time, I, I bet it might be better now. I mean, certainly computers have helped with databases and things like that. Okay. But how, like, you know, they really don't all work together, you know, and and then sometimes can work in opposition to each other. And, you know, the best thing you can do if you're a victim of a violent crime is, is advocate for yourself as best you can or have family advocate for you because things will disappear. Things, you know, the, you remember Alex, them talking, I think they were talking about the, the test kits or like rape dead. They were just like backlogs and backlog, which everybody knows. I know, but yeah. that was news to me, you know, like how, um, there was not a codified system, I guess, other than the FBI, you know, uh, that covers all jurisdictions. And, and even the FBI doesn't, you know, it's like, so it was, it was, eye-opening how important it is um, to try to go ahead. Also, in this case, Katrina hit right in the middle of the 10-year killing span. And, and Rita, so yeah. Katrina and Rita. That's yes. a lot of resources yeah. that had to, you know, be redirected. Yeah. That's so interesting. That's, that's so funny. I mean, it's not funny. None of this is funny, but it's funny that you say that because my personality is like, oh my gosh, it's not that hard. You just test it. You just pull a rape kit out. You just make a phone call. You send an email. And I've been in situations where it's like, Chelsea, your your ignorance is showing, yeah. you know? And, and I think that is a very common thing for the lay person, for the, you know, listener, if you will, of like, well, if I was involved, if I was running this show, I'd have been, you know, testing everybody. I'd have been searching up databases. And you're like, oh, friend, ha. Huh. <laughs> Yeah. You don't really, you don't really understand, you know, and I, um, I really appreciated that you guys allowed, I feel like you guys allowed that documentary to be very organic. Like it didn't seem like you guys were really pushing any sort of real personal narrative because we've watched documentaries where we're like, oh, okay. That seems like there's a little bit of a hidden agenda. Like, I think you guys did such an amazing job of allowing that community, allowing the people involved, allowing the law uh, department, the police officers, you know, individuals to really show an you know, an authentic self. And I think that's what really drew us to you guys' work into this documentary, again, was this idea of it seemed like you appreciated um, how people responded the lifestyle down there like you wanted to respect that and i i just wish that we saw more of that 
in our media and documentaries. Um, I'm sorry, I'm giving you guys like a ton of compliments right now. Oh, that's <laughs> lovely. Thank you. That's very nice. I just really was so, I, I, I just, I just can't, I just cannot tell you how much I am like, thank you for such a raw, genuine experience uh, that we were lucky enough to experience through you guys. I, am, am, am I correct on that? Did it seem like you guys were allowing that to kind of naturally happen? Yeah, I mean, I think as far as the filming. What I was trying to get at a little earlier was that that's my hope or that's so that means a lot to hear it from you. It's, you know, is to approach something without going in there with what it is we want to paste all over it, but just actually listen and see what what is happening. Yeah, two ears, one mouth, man. If if we could remember that we have two ears <laughs> and we should listen twice as much as we talk, I have to and, remind And myself. I think in some ways we discovered that kind of the least interesting character is Ronald Dominique. Uh, yes. You know, he yes. just he just is a, a, a awful, sad piece of shit. You know, and and can I can I just can I give a clap for that, David? I I. I'm really trying to, we always try to be very professional, but what if Bailey, I, I, what did you say? I, I hate to say it again, but you were like, he's on baby back, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember, but no, I, I, I said, I, I don't know how to call him a dumb fat fuck without fat shaming because, because it was like, I wanted to attack him where it hurt because that's what he did but i also don't want to jeopardize like my value system of trying to be this like not a neutral person but just a, a person who can look at things from all angles that's a big value for myself and i noticed as i was recording that podcast i wanted to be like you know like this piece of shit man and then i was like hold on Bailey, that's not very professional yeah he's a human as well and you know what i mean and it's it's yeah. really it's really difficult balance to strike well i think for us also so, we are very like anti-predatorial behavior like it really really burns our bread <laughs> When people are predators, you know what I mean? I'm like, you are such a path of least resistance, dude. Like, yeah. shame on you for going after, like, you knew, you knew that these people probably wouldn't be missed, you know, quickly. They, You were just going after, like, pick on somebody your own size type of thing, if you will, Um and it was just, it really was, it was gut-wrenching. And it, and I'm like, we always, we kind of laugh. My, my key phrase a lot of times is get a better hobby, get a better <laughs> hobby than being a predator uh, over these, I, again, not to use that word marginalized, but these people that, you know, it's like, you know what you're doing and you're taking advantage of people who are already being taken advantage of like they're yeah. already at kind of the bottom of this totem pole mm -hmm. and it's just disgusting human behavior but i'll digress i i, I don't want to rant on that yeah and i know i certainly know what you mean yeah. uh bailey in terms well, of you know not dehumanizing people and using language like he was a monster and things like that and it's you know my inclination is the same like is is to not dehumanize anybody it's hard um Mm -hmm. even when they so consistently dehumanize mm -hmm. other people, you know, and murder, <sighs> rape and murder them. Um, with him, 
you know, there was a term that was used, Alex. Do you remember the patheticism? Oh, of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> we love this word, patheticism. I love that word so much. And uh, uh, Alex, can you maybe speak to, like, I can't remember exactly what was said, but I think Dawn used it. He did. They said, you know, he'll he's going to show up in court. People who, patheticism, they'll show up in court weaker and weaker and weaker and, like, trying to seem like they couldn't possibly. And that's what he did. He showed up in a, with a walker and, like, a wheelchair, you know, and he, it was, there was a lot of, like, how could he possibly be in a position to be this person because he's, you know, exhibiting so much patheticism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think you just have to, you know, physically remind yourself, like, this man, I mean, is pathetic in, in one meaning of the word but he is quite capable yeah. in another in a really horrific way and it it serves everyone well to not underestimate yeah. that yeah, right because in because... fact he didn't he wasn't overpowering them he was convincing them to voluntarily be tied up he's paid so to, yeah 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 Oof. one of the things that i wanted to kind of segue a, a big question and i think it's a topic that we the four of us might overlap with is kind of getting into going back to the documentary and piggybacking off of what Chelsea said about you guys doing a really great job of of allowing the viewers to take in all of the information and understand the story, focus on the victims and not sensationalizing Ronald Dominique. And what I've noticed, and this is just what I make up in my perspective, is some of the reviews for the documentary are kind of like, I mean, it, what it translates mm -hmm. in my brain is it wasn't sensationalized. You guys didn't show pictures of deceased victims. You didn't show, you know, interviews with Ronald Dominique because that's getting into, I think, how this genre of true crime has really turned into is we want this like, you know, quote unquote, juicy story. Yeah, it's a gluttonous approach almost. Yeah. And... You know, and to be totally honest and be human, I've I've fallen victim to that myself in in my history of in my relationship with watching and consuming true crime things. Um, but obviously the older I get and since I've become a therapist over the, you know, the last decade is that's really changed my approach and hence why Chelsea and I are trying to do this interview style podcast of bringing in professionals to, yes, we'll tell a story. But we're not going to sensationalize it, and we're going to give you information, education, mm -hmm. prevention, if all possible. And so my question with all of that, my question to, to you guys is, based off of your experience with Bayou Blue and just your experience in general, what do you think we, the collective we, Chelsea, me, Alex, David, and everybody listening, what can we do to make true crime yeah. more ethical? <laughs> Alex is the I would Alex, I would think you would be the one to speak to this. Oh. Yeah, but I don't have a I don't have a good <laughs> I do the best I can for the projects that you know I'm generating, but there's the whole world out there making true crime stuff and I can't speak or do anything about them. Right. Yeah, I wonder, I mean, like, particularly in the podcast world, which you guys are in, there's, there is such, and I certainly, I, yeah, me too, I, I've certainly fallen for it. And 
even stuff that isn't sensationalistic at all. Like I remember the first season of Serial, I was overwhelmingly compelled by it. But you do lose sight of the victim. Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's such a need for content, um, especially with all these streaming services and like my husband, for example, is loves cult documentaries. They're great, you know, and I love them too. Yeah. And there's some really good ones and there's some not good ones. Um, <laughs> and you can tell, I don't know, you can just tell tonally what the approach is, I think pretty quickly, but I don't know. There's always been sensationalism. There always will be. We certainly elected not to go that route. And I think, you know, probably paid a price for it. Yeah. But we talked about it and we knew. Yeah, we did. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was That's a very conscious decision. Yeah. But we, and we knew we were limiting ourselves and limiting our audience, but um, it was important to us. We did it. You know, we had those photographs. We could have included them. I mm -hmm. feel like it, they were pretty horrible. And not, yeah. it's hard to listen to the whole story when you're like slapped in the face with a shocking image like that. Right. That's true. And that kind of leads me to my final question. Um, so it's been, you know, over a decade since uh, you guys filmed Bio Blue. And if you could do it again, if you could take on this project again, would you take it on again? Oh, yes. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that I would be braver, I think, now than I was then. I was a chicken. Was what a, do you mean like, by that? And I, I, le I leaned on Alex for courage. You are um, great. You did great. Oh, well, thank you. But I, I mean, it's hard. It was hard for me to, um, to, to go into some of these places and to ask, you know, these questions and to ask people to help us. And, and I would get, I would just get scared. Like even like all those shots where we're driving down those country roads in the dark. Um, I, I was like legit got the creeps. Like, I like really, it's creepy. It it's real creepy. Yeah. I mean, it's high yeah. country. It's dark. It's unfamiliar. Yeah. There's... But I would say I would be bolder. I would probably be bolder in some of my questions to law enforcement. Um, and maybe mm. the other thing I would, I would do, I think, and this is where, this is where we struggled with, because we did struggle with the sensationalist aspect. I would love to go back even now to go back and get sort of a sense of the other side of town. You know, there's a sort of corollary film to be made. I mean, I bet, I bet you. I have no evidence for this, but I bet you if you went back to Homa now and went to the Target and asked people who Ronald Dominique was, most mm. of them would not know. I don't, yeah, what do you think, not, Alex? I think they would not know. Yeah. I also think that, you know, the, the victims' families, a lot of them, they didn't, they weren't on the internet. They didn't have really access to newspapers even, like, so... You know, Don talked about walking around with actual physical flyers, you know, after hours to try and tell people what was going on. But I think that there isn't a at your fingertips amount of information that maybe we're used to having every day. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I think everybody would say, I don't know who he is. Yeah. And he's still alive. He's not uh, so pathetic after all, I guess. <laughs> That just, I know, I know that just goes back to what we talked about at the beginning, but it just blows my mind because Homa is a lot like where Chelsea and I grew up. It's a very small town vibe, kind of a good old boy system kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. 
and everybody knows everybody everybody knows everything about everybody and so it makes me wonder just like how thick this veil of denial is because there is no way that these people do not know about what happened like factually but i think this veil of if you don't look at it you don't talk about it it's not there and you continue living in this like societal comprised bubble wrap of you know target bullshit without actually addressing the issues around it Ah, it just i just blows my mind and i i know that happens everywhere right like every every community i'm sure has its level of it but again i i just so distinctly remember like i said moving down there and asking questions um about some of the culture and some of the tension that I felt and that I saw that was completely foreign to me. And I remember specifically asking, um, why, you know, like, why is there tension? Why is this happening? Why do people think this way or act this way? And they were like, because that's just the way it is, Chelsea. Like, I just remember having that response of it's just the way it is. And again, I, I think that's, Another reason why I appreciated what you guys did is I think it showed a little bit of that aspect of the quote unquote, just the way it is, but then also being bold and brave enough to bring attention to like, it doesn't have to be right. Like people can grow, people can learn, people can uh, become more culturally competent and we've got to embrace some of that if we are ever going to grow and learn and be better as a person as a people as a society um and i hate to say especially in those areas because again i'm sure that there are multiple areas throughout the u.s throughout the world that are that way but again i just really applaud you guys's um bravery if you will i know that's a dramatic word but of going down there and exposing a lot of this, exposing the culture, exposing that, yes, we do have a lot of sexism. We have homophobia. We have, you know, we have this stuff and it's damaging and it, it doesn't have to be this way. And not even on a micro level, but like systemically or systematically, I should say. We right. did encounter, David mentioned the sexism yesterday and we did encounter people who would like, we'd be explaining the case because they hadn't heard of it. And then we'd say that the victims were men. <laughs> There's one person said, men? Raping and killing women, I understand, but men? <laughs> to me. It was like, oh, yeah. I don't know where to go with that. But. You're like, I don't really know what to say to this. But we got a lot of that kind of like surprise and that, yeah, that revealed a fair amount of other kinds of assumptions. And I remember too, like, and I'm sure all three of y'all are very familiar with this behavior, but it was a eye-opening for me uh i would ask a question or alex would ask a question and they would answer me <laughs> they would look to me and yeah. answer there's right. all, all almost across the board with particularly with the law enforcement mm-hmm. do you remember that Alex? but i gotta say that happens, yeah, happens all the time that's not the only film that's yeah. happened <laughs> yeah i think it's pretty common um sadly mm-hmm. but but it was a spe- i mean it was very true down there um and i and, and also like you know there's you know, there, there are problems everywhere. There are certainly stories that are unique to the South. Yeah, there's stories unique to upstate New York too, where I spend a lot of mm-hmm. time in Maryland, <laughs> I'm sure, and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Well, like I said, that's really a lot of uh, what Bailey and I are in a in a 
in a weird way and a in a good way and a bad way. I don't know which way it is, but we're that's kind of what we want to do is we want to cover and we want to reach out and we want to expose the stuff. Like, yeah, sure, everybody can talk about Dahmer. You know, we can talk about Bundy and Gacy and all these people. And Ed Kemper uh, and all all of the And I'm I'm gonna right. say I would love to talk about Ed Kemper. He's quite fascinating. <laughs> but I'll digress. <laughs> I'll digress. But we really, really have a heart and a passion for again looking into the you know the lesser than the island of misfit toys, if you will. I don't know how to describe it, but um, it's like I said, it, it it kind of makes it feel in a weird way, like we're not the only ones out there. And again, that's another thing that really inspired us about um, Alex, you, and David is is like man. There are more people who think like us. There are more people who want to look into the lesser than, the not as sensational, you know, the maybe, the possibly forgotten um, side of this stuff. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, the thing that's kind of interesting is that it's for to it's pretty fucking excuse no, my language, sensational for you know consider like if you look at the facts of the case, it's very sensational. It should have been. So, so it's kind of interesting to, you know, for people to like be like, it has to be more. I'm like, really? He killed all these people. Died them like, it's pretty dramatic. It's, it has all the points of it. It just like you said, uh, what was it that, David? Were you saying that, or where did I hear it that someone brought it to the news and and they were like, yeah, that's just not really what we want to cover. That, that reporter in Homa, Robert, right? Alex, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He was in New Orleans, actually. Yeah, and was a hyperlocal journalist in New Orleans, um, and then took it. Uh, yeah, took it to the New York Times, and they said it's not a national story. So I guess really the only thing that I want, I, I do a lot of the like, okay, this is the last one. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. But what are you guys working on? We've we've talked a lot about you know this, and I'm so. I just thank you so much for your insight and for your words on the work that you did and, and giving some clarity to that. But what are you guys working on now? What are you excited about? What what are some of your projects? That was going to be my question was like, hey, so now what are you guys up to? What are you doing? Any big plans that you wanted to share here? Coming out of the pandemic, <laughs> um, I'm working on a, a sort of narrative stuff with some friends, actor friends up here about... Uh, People who fled New York City to during the pandemic and moved to Hudson River Valley and um, tentatively titled Cityets. Oh, very nice. cool. Is yeah. this now is this gonna be kind of a documentary type of No, no, no. It's a it's it's narrative. A narrative. Okay. No, no, gotcha. no. Yeah, it's total narrative. Yeah. Gotcha. I've spent a lot of the pandemic interviewing Irish people about crime in Ireland. <laughs> Literally putting it together as a, it'll be, well, documentary in the sense of, of nonfiction, but it'll be like theater, book, different iterations of these interviews. Very cool. Very cool. I, um, oddly enough, I had to do a project um, comparing two countries on their health systems. And Ireland and South Africa were the two countries that I ended up uh, comparing. Oh, wow. And I was like, man, Ireland, you guys, like, their population is growing. They just um, kind of included dental into, like, a national um, 
oh, I guess, interest, like they're really becoming more interested in the dental care of the um, people of Ireland. So uh, not that that is really relevant to anything that you're saying, but I was like, hey, I just had to do some research on Ireland. Uh, well, and Chelsea's a dental hygienist. So anytime that like anything with teeth or mouth or oral hygiene comes up, she's like, let me tell you something. <laughs> <laughs> My brother-in-law is a dentist. Oh, fun. Oh, fun. It's a, it's yeah. an interesting, oh man, it's an interesting field. Someone, someone should do a documentary on the, Alex, ugh, on the life of being in dentistry. You want to talk about true <laughs> yeah. crime, man. It, I think going to the dentist is like a, like a criminal activity times for people. It's, it's and I know people, yeah. it's very uncomfortable. It's very, very, very uncomfortable. So, yeah. well, when we, do you guys have a tentative date for us to be looking forward to releases or anything that we can look at, buy, purchase, like, follow, not, anything not like that? Not yet. Okay. Not yet. No. Yeah. Okay. No. But we'll keep our eyes peeled for it, right? Yes. What about you guys? What is your timeline with your podcast? So we have got some really, and y'all are going to hear me totally nerd out, and I want to be respectful of your time since you asked, you know, um, but we've got some really cool things going on. Um, I, so I do a lot of research naturally for the podcast episodes and just because Chelsea and I are kind of nerds anyway. Um, but all of the podcasts, the true crime genre podcasts that I found that were interview style, they really stuck to this well-beaten path of interviewing detectives, interviewing criminologists, which is fascinating, don't get me wrong, but it's still very much tied into the criminal piece. And Chelsea and I really wanted to broaden our horizons. And so uh, we've got, we touched face with a gentleman who, just like as kind of a wild example, he is a zoologist and he is an expert in cannibalism. And so the the questions are not going to be talked. We're not going to be asking about, you know, victims who died via, you know, with when there was cannibalism involved. It's really more about understanding what what is that from a evolutionary standpoint? Can you educate us on like different species and cannibalism? And then we talked to a gentleman who I think we're going to interview uh, pretty soon. And he is like the leader, the the expert in factitious disorders. So Munchausen, Munchausen by proxy, malingering. Mm. Uh, I talked to a gentleman who's going to come on the show who is an underwater criminal investigator. And I didn't even know that was a thing. And so I want to pull individuals from these niches, doctors, clinicians, zoologists, uh, researchers, reporters, survivors, anything and just shed some light on their perspective and not necessarily talking about like a crime or the, again, not to overuse the word, but like the sensational piece to it. Mm -hmm. But for our listeners to listen to an episode about something, and then we have an interview with a professional to really educate our listeners and get them to see it from, from a professional standpoint. And so at the end of the day, our listeners, my goal is our listeners walk away instead of just with a saturated nervous system, they're going to walk away with 
oh, did you know that this means this or that this became this or this is the etiology or the history of this? And they're going to know more, have more knowledge, have more education and understanding. So if they do decide to do something productive in this world and in society, we hopefully, Wildside, will be a part of that. Cool. That's Excellent. Great. And we're just, um, you know, also wanting to bring you know every episode we try to end it with you know you are worthy you are loved um you know it's it's kind of like what is that movie the help where it's like you is kind you is important like yeah it's like such a sweet sentiment but again really bringing um especially since we i don't think anybody knew what post-pandemic world was going to be like Right. I, I mean, everybody's like, oh, 2020 yeah. COVID, that was so long ago. And it's like, yeah, but it wasn't. And people are still yeah. really struggling. People are still really having a hard time. And um, so we, again, want to bring, a, a you know, an air of positivity, but also a, a, an air of empowerment of like, you can be an advocate. You can be an advocate. Um, we give we give a lot of resources on if you're struggling with suicidal thoughts, if you're struggling with uh, some form of sex addiction or, you know, fantasy, like there are therapists, there are people, you are not alone. There are lots of people who would love to be in that darkness with you. Um, and we just want people to be seen. We want people to be heard uh, in a time where, I don't know, I just, I just feel like it's very, very important for people to feel like they have somebody in their corner even if it's just a voice on a podcast you know like yeah so that's that's really kind of both of our uh mission our goal and we just you know kind of like alex we're interested in true crime and we both it kind of is interesting to us and um but man also bringing you know the beautiful things that happen as a result of true crime and that can be very uh like head scratching like how what what beautiful you know what can come from the ashes of it like changes in legislature and stuff like that that advocates like family member or family of victims and they advocate for that and literally Im implement new laws i mean it's just amazing some of the work that um, people can do that's us all right thanks you guys thank you so much for reaching out to us yeah. Well, thank you yeah. for agreeing to come on, and thank you guys for being fangirls of us. We really, <laughs> anytime, <laughs> we really appreciate that. <laughs> Makes my day. Thank you so much. Thank you. And we'll keep our listeners posted for if um, Alex, David, whenever you guys release any new cool things that you guys are working on. We're always going to be here as a voice of support yeah. for you guys. And just because you've been so gracious and so kind and so loving and wonderful to us. And we want to repay thank that you. however we can. Absolutely. Moving forward. Yeah. Thank, thank you so much. Ultimately, thank you. Thank you for being yeah. you. Thank you for being you. And we appreciate what you're doing. Um, big or big and small. And just, again, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Hey, 
Wild Psych Tribe. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Wild Side Podcast. Make sure to tune in on Wild Side Wednesdays. New episodes will drop each Wednesday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We would love to hear from you. So if you have a wild case recommendation, email us at wildsidepodcast at gmail.com. That's wildside with a C. Or share your thoughts in the comments below. As always, if you haven't heard it today, you're loved, you're worthy, and you're valuable. And we'll catch you on the, the flip, flip side. side.